say to us? Well, you know uh, what sort of weeks we've had, what sort of days we've had, how we're feeling right now, and you know what we need to hear. And so, Lord, we want to pray that you would, um, you would speak and we would listen. Help us to be attentive to what you want to say. Uh, we want to pray that your word today will be refreshing for our souls. It will challenge us in some way as well. We, we would be reminded of the fullness we have in Jesus and that, and that amazing truth we can cling to for the rest of our days. So, Lord, please bless our time. Use me as your servant. Speak only your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, after almost, uh, almost five years, almost five years, uh, I, have, I have finished uh, landscaping my backyard. It is now finally usable. Yep, thanks very much. Look, I don't like to rush things. Uh, five years is a, is a, good, a good length of time. We, uh, we first got our place uh, five years ago, and uh, it was like, it was like a, a jungle, I would say. And I would say it was like a paradise or a holiday destination for every single mosquito in the inner west to come and flock and enjoy the time there. And uh, so you couldn't use that backyard. We had these giant concrete steps that in the first few weeks we were there. One of my daughters fell down headfirst and cut her head open, which was just great. And uh, there's no grass. It was compressed concrete. Uh, around the concrete was this sharp brick edging that you'd poke your eye out if you fell on it. Um, uh, and, uh, and it was great for the kids. And we had three giant fig trees in my backyard. Now, a landscaping tip for you. Um, when you have a backyard that's like 10 metres wide by 6 metres long, you don't plant three giant fig trees in your backyard. Fig trees go to this, this size, right? I had three of them in my backyard. Who was, what were they thinking as they planted those trees? So anyway, we had to, uh, they damaged all our drainage and the roots got into the, the drainage system. When you prune these trees, what happens is when you cut them, they think great and their roots go out deeper and wider. They're like, I'll show you. And off they go, right? And that's what they were doing to our house. And uh, they knocked over, almost knocked over our fence. We replaced it this week. But anyway, it was crazy. So after I removed everything the, from the concrete to the figs to the brick edging, we then got a, build, a deck built over the concrete stairs. I built some platter boxes, laid astroturf, um, installed a giant sandpit. Now I want to show you just to brag a little bit about the before and after shots here. Of, uh, here's, here's a before shot. So this was, we renovated our house and we had 16 tonne, 16 tonne of rubble from the inside moved to that backyard and we had to wheelbarrow that out bit by bit. Next shot, look, there's Johnny Gasparnalis even helping out. What a good guy he is, right? Putting the, putting, the, putting the hard yards in me there. I was just discipling him right there. That's what I was doing right there as he was helping me. And then it looks like this. Thank you. A lot better, right? A lot better. Um, I'm free for consulting with landscaping if you'd like to ask me later on. Um, but that's what it looks like now. It's a lot more fun, a lot more usable. Uh, but the fun part, uh, I thought the fun part would be, was choosing, choosing plants. I like plants, I like gardens, I like flowers. Um, <laughs> I love plants, and I thought the easy part would be to choose plants. Uh, but it turned out to be a lot more stressful for me than I thought I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And after five years, I thought I had this in my mind, what sort of plants I wanted, what sort of colours I wanted everywhere. Uh, but the problem is, plants don't always do what you want them to do. And so I planted some really nice smelling gardenias, had that nice perfume fragrance. My kid's one of them, but already some of them are turning yellow because the soil's too wet, I haven't put enough drainage in my planter box. Uh, I bought the wrong variety of magnolia. I wanted a, 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 a bigger one. I've got a, one called a little gem. I wanted the grander floral one. What a mistake. Anyway, <laughs> I, wanted a, I have a conifer hedge that was going to screen out my side neighbors, and that's not growing as I'd hoped, and it's 
That's a struggle. And um, look, come Lord Jesus. Anyway, um, um, and then when I removed when I removed the two fig trees, uh, three fig trees, the council said you got to replace them with other trees. And so, um, and so I replaced them with um, a, a tree called a crepe myrtle, which is deciduous, and then I've got another tree called a tristaniopsis. And uh, I planted these quite early on the project uh, about two years ago, and I, re- I started to notice that this tristaniopsis tree wasn't really doing anything. <laughs> it wasn't growing, hadn't flowered, had shown no real signs of growth or maturity. And now if you're talking to a gardener, uh, what you want to see in your garden is growth, is, is more leaves and foliage and flowers, that's what you want to see filling it out. But my tristaniopsis wasn't growing at all, it wasn't maturing. So what I do, just pull it out and chuck it in the bin. I lift it out, threw it in the bin. Now that may seem a little rash but, and impatient, but if, if a garden is going to survive, uh, it's going to flourish, it, it needs to mature, and the roots to go down deep. And if it's going to survive through the winter months where there's less sun, and less growth, it needs to mature, it needs to get established and grow. Otherwise, it won't survive. Otherwise, it will die. Today, uh, as we look at chapter 2 of this letter from, the, uh, from Paul, uh, we're going to read a very similar thing to this young church. Paul's going to say in this letter, or in this chapter, anyway, this church needs to grow. They need to, to mature if they're going to survive. We've heard of the last, uh, last little while, uh, this letter is to the church in Colossae, um, uh, in modern-day Turkey. And it was quite new. They've only just heard the good news of Jesus and they've turned and followed him uh, and, they've, and, they, and they've understood the, uh, the, the Jesus' death and resurrection and his grace and his love. And so out of that has born this young little new church. And this young church was, was new and the believers were new and they were vulnerable to being led astray because they weren't really uh, maturing yet. Uh, Paul the writer was happy at how they've been going but they were in danger of being led astray and moving on or adding to the gospel and therefore changing what they originally believed. And so this young church wasn't established yet. It didn't have deep roots, there was no maturity, and they hadn't really persevered through any hard, which hadn't brought any strength, or, or, and Paul's worried for them. And so he calls them in this chapter to mature, to grow, to establish their faith. And as they do this, they will stand firm. What I love about uh, this is, we need to remember, this, is, this chapter is handwritten, was written by a man named Paul, who's a real guy in a real time, and he would have been writing this letter from when he was probably in jail, at the end of his life. And so he would have walked for 30, 40, 50 years as a follower of Jesus. He would have been through the ups and downs of the Christian life. He would have been full of, of times of persevering when it was hard. He would have been full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. And so I think this guy's worth listening to on how to run and walk the Christian life. That's what we're going to hear here, we're hear from him. And he's telling this church, and he's telling us how to grow, how to mature as a follower of Jesus so that they can and we can stand firm. So that we can and they can have joy in following Jesus. And what's interesting, what Paul is saying here and helping them to grow is that you can, you can take from this is that Growing and maturing as a follower of Jesus doesn't just happen naturally. You don't just fall into maturity. You don't drift into maturity. That's what Paul's saying. Here's what you need to do to mature. And secondly, Paul says that maturity and growth are essential if you're going to survive as a follower of Jesus. It's essential. And that's where he's pushing this young church on. As a pastor, I, um, I often get questions asked around, around this topic of Gav, how do I know that I'll be a follower of Jesus in a year's time? 
How do I know I'll be a follower of Jesus in five years, ten years, at the end of my life? How do you know? How can you be sure that you keep on following Jesus? You know, I, people often say, I know some friends or, or, or family members who no longer follow Jesus. How can I be sure that I'll stand firm? And as I said before, we've, we've, we've been here at church for five years and we've seen people who have come and sat here among us who no longer do anymore, who have drifted away, who have given up and said, Jesus is not for me anymore. I also get people asking me, and I often ask myself, why aren't I more joyful in the Christian life? How do I get more joy in following Jesus? Am I supposed to be dragging my feet the whole time? Where is the joy in following him? I want to say those those sort of questions that we're asking there is what Paul's going to address in this chapter and how to mature into that and stand firm. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you don't know where you stand yet, what we're going to hear today is Paul's going to unpack who Jesus is and the benefits and the blessings of following him. So it's worth listening to say, okay, this is what the Christian life is about, but here is what you get from following Christ. It's worth listening to if you're not sure where you stand with Jesus yet. But we're going to jump in and look at Colossians 2 together. Let's have a look at the first five sentences for me on the screen. First five sentences. For you to know how great a struggle I've had for you and all those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their, eyes may be encu- that they, their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul begins this chapter by telling the Colossians how hard he has struggled for them. He says it there. He struggled for, the church, for them and this church called Laodicea, which is a church just nearby. And as he says, uh, that he's never met them, but he loves and cares for them. And Paul, like I said, is most likely in prison when he's writing this letter. And he's struggling for them in prayer, writing this letter, probably meeting with uh, the leader of the pastor of this church, Epaphras. Um, look, at, look at sentences uh, sentence 12 from chapter 4 at the end of this letter. Paul says this, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in, uh, in all the will of God. So both... Paul and, and the pastor Epaphras are striving in prayer for this young church, praying that they may, may mature and stand firm and be fully assured of who Jesus is and what they have in him. And this is what we get in this, in this chapter 2. Sentence 2, he wants to encourage them, see them united as, as the church, spur them on to love Jesus, and he wants them to fully get, to fully understand the riches of full, uh, full assurance, of understanding all the knowledge of God's mystery which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. He wants them to understand deeply who Jesus is and what is on offer in him, what they have in him. Why? Look at sentence 4. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. The way that this young church, who's been tempted to go to be led astray, the way this young church has got to stand firm is by fully understanding who Jesus is. And being assured of that. They need to grow. They need to mature. And as they do that, they will stand firm, Paul is saying. 
He's convinced that maturity will lead to standing firm. But what, is, what does maturity look like? Maturity is a word that we can often throw around in the Christian circles. And well, What does maturing as a follower of Jesus practically look like? We hear it's vital uh, and it will help us from not being led astray. But what does maturity actually look like? What does Paul say? Uh, as, you, as you know, I'm a, um, I'm a, a sports fanatic, probably too much. And uh, I, I grew up playing soccer and rugby union and cricket and I love that. Now the other sport I play is mixed netball, which is a little sad, but hey, I'll take it at the moment. Uh, but my son just started playing cricket on the weekend, which I'm very happy about. And this is past weekend, all my dreams have come true. He and I sat in the lounge together and watched hours of the ashes together. Right? I know. Thank you for to appreciate that. Uh, he, he absolutely loves it. The Lord has answered my prayers. And... Um, I would love to have done more with sport, but, but I didn't. Know. But I love reading about elite athletes and, and what goes into being an elite athlete. As I read about a bunch of elite athletes, similar attributes keep coming up. Um, elite athletes, firstly, know their, know their chosen sports super well, inside and out. They know it really well. Um, uh, they know their own game and their strengths and their weaknesses even, even better. So knowledge is a big thing. They know their opponents really well, uh, where they'll be attacked by their opponents and where they can attack their, their opponents. And there's always so, so much discipline with their training, their fitness, what they put into their body, how they look after their body. Discipline is a huge thing for them. And this is what, what a mature athlete will look like and will do. And it takes work, it takes effort, it takes a plan to be a mature athlete. For the rest of this chapter, Paul outlined practically what it takes to be a mature follower of Jesus. And it's not that dissimilar to what it takes to be a mature, athlete, a mature elite athlete. Mature as a follower of Jesus is essential, Paul says, if you're going to stand firm. But it takes a plan. And it takes effort. But what does it look like? How do you pursue it? I want to suggest, and for the rest of our time we look through this, I want to suggest Paul says five things. Five things that you need to pursue if you're not mature as a follower of Jesus. I want to show from this passage, but the five things are this. Have a look on the screen. First one is discipline. It takes discipline. It takes knowing what you believe. It takes knowing what you have. It takes knowing the dangers. And it takes being thankful. There are five things I think Paul's going to outline for this young church they need to pursue if they're going to mature. I'm going to fill these out for you. I'm going to show you how he does this. Look at sentences 6 and 7 with me for a sec. It says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul says here, don't move on from Jesus as Lord over your life, but rather, walk in him. And this word walk is an active word. You can't, you can't just fall into walking. You've got to, you've got to choose to walk. And walking takes discipline. To follow Jesus, to walk in Him takes discipline to do that as Lord. To have Jesus Lord over your life means to let Jesus rule your life. Let Him call the shots. Bring everything under the Lordship of Christ. This takes a daily dying to yourself, a discipline. Every day dying to what you want and saying, Jesus, now you're the Lord of my life. That's why Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It takes discipline. Trusting that Jesus' way is better. Trusting that his way is life to the full. 
day in, day out. What Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. It's a fight, a daily fight with what I want to do rather than knowing that this is a better way for me to live following Jesus. And it takes real discipline. When you pursue this way, when you walk in him, with, uh, uh, we, we get mature. We get mature through this. When we, when, we are, when we are disciplined, we grow, we get established in our faith, we persevere, which leads to maturity, which leads to a firm footing. Paul's saying discipline is the first way to mature and standing firm as a follower of Jesus, being disciplined. But secondly, sentence 7, he says, So walk in him and be built up in him and establish in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I think secondly, if you're going to follow, if you're going to mature as a follower of Jesus, uh, Paul says, know what you believe. Know what you believe. And it's not just, yeah, I know, I know Jesus died for me. I know that I'm going to go to heaven. I know that. And I'll just, I'm waiting for that. Paul says no. He says, he uses the word rooted and built up and established. These sort of words that are deep, that are, that are knowing deeply. There's a depth to this. It's like, let your roots, roots go deep. Build your whole life on Jesus, firmly, deeply established in the faith. The faith that he says that I taught you. Knowing deeply what you believe. See, the best way uh, to attack apathy or to be on guard against anything that comes at you is to deeply know what you believe. One of my favorite Psalms in the whole Bible is Psalm 1. I love Psalm 1. I want to be the Psalm 1 guy. I'm going to show you why. And I think this fits in with what I'm saying. Have a look at this with me. Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in, in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does he prospers. For the wicked not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. A person of Psalm 1, they meditate on God and his word day and night, it says. And they go deep, and their roots are deep, and they know what they believe. And so what happens? Well, it says they're like a tree that produced fruit. That they're healthy, they're strong. Their leaf doesn't wither. They're not blown around when troubles come their way. Why? Because their roots are deep. They know what they believe. Here's a person from Morning Church who I catch up and chat with regularly. And, uh, and uh, they're in their Bible daily. And not only that, they engage their mind with what they believe by reading Christian books as well. I was chatting with them the other day. And I said, oh, you know, what are you reading at the moment? They said, oh, I'm reading. I just found a book I wanted to read on the, on the Trinity. I wanted to know about more how God is stream one. So I've engaged my mind and started thinking through that to understand it so I can worship God better. And I, I was just so encouraged by someone that, who's going deep on what they believe. I want to say that, that, you know, you don't want to substitute the Bible for Christian books, but reading Christian books, God has blessed the wide church and gifted so many people with great minds to think through and articulate things of God in a simple way to help us to grow. And I would say these are worth having a look at and worth reading. If you're not a reader, and I'm, I'm not a reader, but I, but I do it because I want to know deeply the God that I worship and rejoice in Him and stand firm in Him if you want a Christian book to read, please come and ask me. My wife would love me to get more books off my shelf. I'm happy to share them with you. 
But please chat to him so you can go deep in your faith and mature and so you can stand firm and rejoice in the Lord as you know him more. Second key to maturity is knowing what you believe. Thirdly, as a follower of Jesus, maturity is knowing what you have. And this was huge for the Colossians. They were under attack and these, these people from the outside were coming and saying, well, uh, we want to give you a better spiritual experience. We want to experience this higher plane of knowledge. And you've started okay, but let us show you the better way to go forward. And so Paul's saying, hang on, whoa, whoa, let me remind you what you have. Let me remind you of what you've got in Jesus. Have a look at sentences 8 to 15 with me. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elementary, elemental uh, spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you are being filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he has set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in him. As I said, these Colossians were tempted to be, to be dragged away to another higher spiritual calling they, they thought they were being called to. But Paul's saying... I want to show you what you got in believing the gospel, what you already have. Have a look at sentences 9 and 10. I think this is amazing. Get our head around this for a minute. This is the real key of the book. Paul says, For in him, that's Jesus, For in him, Jesus, the fullness of deity dwells. That is, the fullness of God, Paul is saying, dwells in Jesus. You read, we heard last week in, uh, as Mark Dunstan preached in chapter 1 that Jesus is the image on the, of the invisible God. That is who Jesus is. That is who he is. That's what Paul is establishing. So then, track this with me. He says, Paul is saying to the Colossians, you are full. Not you will be full or you may be full. No, you are full right now. Why? Because you are united with Jesus. You're united with the King of Kings, the Ruler of all, the Supreme One, the Alpha, the Omega, the Judge, the Lord of Lords. You're united with God Himself. This is who you have. This is who you're united with through His death and resurrection. You are full with Him. United by the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying, you want spiritual experiences? You want more? You already have way more human and comprehend. You can't get any more. You can't go any higher or any better because you have the best. You have the supreme one already. And you've been filled by him. But Paul's not finished there. He goes on with this union with Christ, being in him. He talks about this idea of circumcision, which is an Old Testament idea of where in the Old Testament you would circumcise the child to say that they are marked as a child of God. It's an outward mark, outward symbol. Paul says here they've been circumcised spiritually. They've been marked already as children of God through Jesus' death and resurrection. They are already marked as his children. And then in sentence 12, he says they've been baptized. They've been washed clean, dead to the old self, and raised up to new life in Christ. 
united with him in that. Then he summarizes it all and states clearly what the Colossians have. He says, you are dead in your sins, but God has made you alive through Christ. And he did it all through the cross. Forgiving their sin, dealing with it, and nailing it to the cross, and they bear it no more. And God has dealt with it. He's dealt with death and Satan on the cross. Since 14, he put them to open shame. There is no more fear. Jesus has the victory. Jesus has won once and for all. And Paul says, Colossians, you're on that winning team. Why would you move on? This is what you have in Christ. And Paul is asking, do you get what you have? Do you understand what you have? I've mentioned before, I don't know about you, but it's easy, I think for me, it's easy to forget what I have. I take things for granted probably too quickly. I'm tempted to look elsewhere to move on. We started City about five years ago. And uh, Katie and I really wanted to live in the area we were planning a church in, but we had no money. We, we, in ministry, we had no savings, and uh, we hadn't saved anything. And, uh, and anyway, it was totally God's hand at work here. We both believe that. There's no explanation. Out of nowhere, we had some family members come to us and say, hey, without us saying anything, hey, we want to give you money to buy a house. And we went to an auction, the house that we now own, and, and I bid for the house, and the dollar value was what the exact amount of, amount of money I was given to buy the house. And it was like, it was like God saying, hey, I, I got this. I got this. And it was, it was amazing. My gift of God, that test just came from nowhere. We didn't even say anything. Our family members are going, here it is, you buy it. All of God. The crazy thing is, not long after, I found myself on the domain app trying to find a better house. Looking, I wonder if there's a better house than I have. Or a nicer house. And, and to my shame I say that. I'd forgotten what I'd been given from God as a gift. It was shameful. And here Paul is saying to Colossians, do you know what you have? Do you know what you have? Because if you do, you won't move on. Rather, you'll grow mature in what you have. And you'll stand firm. So maturity, pursuing maturity, means knowing and holding on to what you have. Believing that. Fourthly, and a lot quicker, maturity means knowing the danger. Senate 16, Paul says, uh, since you have all this in Jesus, don't let anyone judge you on religious uh, uh, days or festivals or Sabbaths that you do or don't attend. You say, you're free. You've been free in Christ. These, you can go and attend these, but they don't mean anything. You don't have to do them. You're free in Christ. And he says in Genesis 18, let no one disqualify you or condemn you. These people aren't followers of Jesus. And they're, and they're doing it out of pride. They're trying to place themselves above you. And they're not part of the body. Paul is saying, know the dangers. Be aware of them. They'll come at you. Maturity means being ready for them. Fifthly and finally, maturity means being thankful. Let's jump back to it for a minute to the sentences 6 and 7 where Paul says, Therefore, as you receive Christ, Jesus Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I think being thankful is so important. I think Paul says abounding in thanksgiving. But being thankful, I don't know about for you, but for me, being thankful lifts my eyes up. And, and I start to reflect on the gifts that I've been given that I don't deserve in so many ways, rather than looking down and saying, oh, poor me, I don't have this, and you start loathing. Right? It lifts my eyes up, saying, God, you are so kind. I don't deserve any of this. And if we're regularly thankful, it takes our mind and our heart to, even the small gifts we receive daily, like, you know, air to breathe, food to eat, jobs to go to, 
friends and family to enjoy, the country we live in. Be thankful for those things. I remember a Bible college lecturer said, be thankful, thankful to God for taste buds. God could have made all food taste like broccoli, right? But he didn't. He gives you foods to taste, colors to see, animals to enjoy. They're all gifts from God to enjoy, to bring him, to us to enjoy, bring him glory. And then when we're thankful for the small things, we can think of the bigger things like forgiveness in Christ, a relationship with our Creator, heaven is our home, heavenly dad, the sovereign one on our side, God living in us, free from sin and death. There's so many things to be thankful for, right? So many. I would, I would think that it would be hard to be, a fa- to be thankful as a follower of Jesus and not joyful. A mature person is thankful and pursuing thankfulness. But there's Paul, Paul's list for the Colossians to mature. Five things there. Discipline. Know what you believe. Know what you have. Knowing the dangers of being thankful. And this is what Paul has coined the Colossians to pursue if they're going to stand firm. To mature. And I don't know you, but if you, if, as you look at that list, as you read that list, what do you think? What about you? Does that list describe you? Or someone you desire to be that you're pursuing, you have a plan to pursue, to push you on for Jesus to go deeper? Or is it more of being a bit of a slow drift for you? As Paul says here, you won't, you won't drift into maturity. The only place you drift is, is backwards. You see, I think the scary thing often you'll be drifting in your faith is that you don't really feel or think too much about it. You feel like you're just in a bad patch, but, you know, it'll sort itself out. But it can be like a boat or a plane that sets its course and it's just one degree off in its course when you begin. It's one degree off. And you think, oh, it's not going great, but you know. But if you keep leaving that, that one degree gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you end up over here thinking, how did I end up here? What's going on? Often we're drifting and you have a lack of joy and a lack of thankfulness and so you don't really enjoy it. But this passage is asking us today, are you growing as a follower of Jesus? Do you look back on the year you've just had and going, yeah, I've pursued those things. Or I say, yeah, look, I need, to, I need to do it better. Pursuing those things. Knowing I'm sure in Christ, knowing I'm safe in Him, but pursuing those things to mature, to stand firm. Do you have a plan to mature? You know, I, I hope you know I love this church. I love you guys. I hope you know that I'm so thankful for you in so many ways. But I want to say as a church, we need to mature. We need to go deeper in Jesus and his word. And we need to help one another in this endeavor. You know what? I think it's only going to get harder and harder to be a follower of Jesus in our culture. It's not a bad thing, but it's going to get harder and harder. And unless we grow and mature, some of us won't make it. You know, on Wednesday night, we sat here in this building. As a church, we spoke about exciting plans and potential new campus in Burwood and looking at studying a youth group, maybe high school scripture, and we're trying to reach more families for Jesus and, and more stuff with hands and feet. But that requires us going all in. This requires a maturity in seeing, hey, well, it's going to take more of me, but I'm maturing and I see the bigger picture going on here, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I love these plans. I'm excited. I'm all in. And it'll take us as individuals with the help of each other to pursue growing and maturing to stand firm so that we can share the joy we experience in Christ. So the question is, do you have a plan to grow and mature? Don't, don't leave it to January 1. Do it now. Pursue this. It, you're not a victim to your maturity. 
It's not like you can't pick up a Bible or, or read a book or start praying or say to someone, hey, can we catch up and have a coffee and talk? You're not a victim for that. I say it because I love you. You can do this. You have the Holy Spirit living in you to pursue maturity. Don't leave it for next week, next month, next year. This passage is saying, God is saying tonight, pursue maturity. Pursue me. So do you have a plan to be disciplined? A plan for your spiritual disciplines like meeting with God in the Word and praying? Do you have a plan for that? Do you have a plan to know what you believe in a deeper way? To be the Psalm 1 person? To go deep, to read Christian books? Do you have a plan to know what you have and, and keep in the front of your mind what you have in Christ? Do you know the promises that God offers you in Christ that are yours right now? Do you know what it means to be a child of God? And does it affect you in any way, shape or form throughout your day? And do you have a plan to know what that means? That I think if you, if you don't understand the promises of God that are yours now in Christ, right now you miss out on so much joy and security because God's saying they're yours. I've, I've, I've given them to you in Christ. Do you know the dangers? Do you know where you're vulnerable in your faith? Do you know where the enemy might attack you? And are you fighting the counter to grow in that area, to fight the good fight of faith, to live it out day by day in his strength? Are you being thankful? In your prayer life, are you more asking or saying, come on God, or are you saying, God, you are so good. Thank you for this and this and this. Thank you for the big things and the small things. Can I encourage you, pursue maturity. Pursue growth. You will stand firm. Be like the Psalm 1 person who is unshakable no matter what comes their way. No matter what the circumstances are, you can be joyful. As you pursue maturity, to pursue God, to pursue Christ, I promise you, you will be more joyful. Having a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and what you have in him that is being given to you. I want to say pursue maturity. Let me pray. Father, we want to pray for my soul, for us here. I want to pray for all of us. I'm not excluded from this. That I would pray we would mature, we would, we would pursue growth, we would pursue you every single day. Lord, we, we have hearts that are, that are easy to let astray. We don't want to be that people. We want to be more like the Psalm 1 person. And so Lord, we want to pray that we would put into action in your strength a plan to know you more, to go deeper with you, to rejoice in you, to know what we have in Christ and to celebrate that together. We want to pray that joy would overflow in our lives to every sphere. Lord, we want to pray that you, Holy Spirit, would, would convict our hearts to just tomorrow morning we start again. The day starts afresh. We love the promise of Lamentations 3.23 that your mercies are new each morning. And tomorrow we start again. We want to pray that as we start again, we will pursue you tomorrow. Pursue maturity. Pursue knowing you deeper. We're going to pray, Father, that we would keep being a church who encourage one another to love you more, to go deeper. We're going to pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give you time to